Welcome back to Sports and Society here on March 17th. This is Brad, and I'm here with Kyle. How are you doing today, man? Yeah, I'm doing well. Not too bad at all. Looking forward to talking about why people are famous and if that means anything. <laughs> the two of us who care so much about fame are the exact right people to be having this conversation. Yeah, we both subscribed to the New York Post. <laughs> Actually, I will confess that I read the Daily Mail more than I want to. And I don't really know why. It's just a habit at this point that I go there. <laughs> that, that, like, I mean, I value your opinion, so now I feel like I'm going to read a lot of Daily Mail this week. Don't. It's horrible. <laughs> Every time I do, I regret it because I like scroll down to like the secondary stories, and they're always something like three-year-old murders one-year-old cousin. I'm like, what? I don't need to know that information. Come on now. But anyway. I had, I, had a, I had a period in my life where I was living with some other folks, and they loved the TMZ television show. Uh-huh. And I hated myself every evening at like 5 o'clock when it came on because no matter what I was doing, I would get sucked in. There's a powerful force, man. But once you get in, it's addicting, yeah. Yep. Yeah, it is. Yeah. They, they're just so good at it. <laughs> they really are. Uh, well, before we get too deep into that, let's uh, let's talk about what interested you this past week, man. Yeah, so I think there's two things for me that stood out. One is that Jim Furyk is uh, near the top of the leaderboard at the players, and Jim Furyk is 48, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, so almost to senior level status, but he has been out of the limelight for probably eight years or so, eight or nine years, to where he's been a legitimate top ten player, which he was for a long time. Uh, His statistics, if you look at them, are really incredible about how good he was and for how long he was good. But the fact that he's at the leaderboard at the players is interesting on a couple levels. One, because he's older and we haven't heard from him for a while, but... Also, that the Players' Championship course uh, in Florida is known as a non-bombers course. Hmm. So you don't have to be able to crush the ball to do well there. And it's a place where if you can move the ball both directions and control your ball flight, that you can do well. And so I I think in some ways it's unpacking it to too large of extent to say that this matters in the sense of like how golf is played in this technology era of golf and in this changing golf to just hitting it as far as you can and going and finding it and then hitting it as far as you can again. But I think there is a little bit of that, of that, what would golf look like if it made decisions and put in rules and regulations so that golf wasn't just for people that could hit it really far. So him being up there, I think, is significant and interesting and fun and just kind of a a, a different angle than most weeks on the PGA Tour. So I would love to see him play well today, but hmm. we'll see how he does. Well, it is interesting. I, you know, I think about those guys, Brooks Kapka and Dustin Johnson, who was so big off the tee. And, you know, I have to say that I don't think it would hurt them that much. They would lose an advantage in some courses, but they'd still be able to compete. And it would bring a right. whole lot of other folks into the fray um, right. that could potentially do well. So that's an interesting thought. It is, too. And 
not to get way too into golf, but it's interesting that Phil Mickelson is notoriously one of the worst drivers. Uh, I mean, every year he's out of the top 100 in driving accuracy in strokes gained off the tee. And it's, I I wonder how great he could be were he or had he in the past made a decision to say like, I'm just going to hit fairways because he's obviously good enough that if he wanted to hit fairways, he could hit fairways, but he's just made this decision and Tiger's done the same. And again, to extend it too far is to say that all of these guys' bodies seem to be falling apart. Uh, Jason Day has back problems. Rory has back problems. Tiger has back and neck problems. Justin Thomas has back and wrist problems. And it's just like, okay, what do you, I mean, it's interesting, that part of it. And Jim Furyk sitting there like completely healthy, like, yep, I'm still good. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's interesting you bring this up because it's the players is such a big tournament, but I find myself not caring. And it's one of these things that I think I have to wait till the Masters and NCAA tournament is over before I really can get into the golf stuff. Right. Yeah, I, I could talk about that a long time. The The players is a big deal because the marketers tell us that it's a big deal. Mm. It, it's, it's no different. And in fact, some ways, it's a lesser field than a WGC championship event. In uh, any week on the PGA Tour now, because there's so many good golfers in the world, and even on the European Tour, it, every week matters, and every week's field is incredible. Like, that 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 that's a bygone that they're still latching on to for marketing purposes, because I think that they charge the advertisers more, and so they got to keep pushing that narrative. But it's not that much different than any other week on the PJ Tour. <laughs> yeah. But what about you? Um, so I've been. Um intrigued to follow so far last week i i have to confess that i think real madrid went out of the champions league on a call that shouldn't have been made um i don't know if you saw the handball that resulted no, what, in that what penalty. happened so uh um you know manchester united came in like way i think they lost oh i'm forgetting everything essentially they were down after the first leg they came back they needed to score three goals i think to win um and they went in to Madrid and won um, by the right margin. And the winning goal was a penalty kick that was awarded for a handball from a shot outside the box where a guy turned his back uh, and his arm was a little away from his body, but in what I consider to be a natural location when you're jumping. Uh, and they went to VAR and awarded the penalty, which I just found immensely shocking. Um and then this week it comes down that uh, the coach has been let go and Zinedine Zidane is going to be brought back in as manager there at Real, which was an interesting thing because he did amazing in Champions League but not as well in uh, the Domestic League, which is just interesting to see him come back after only being out of that seat for about eight months. Uh, so all kinds of interesting things happening there at Real Madrid at the moment. It makes me fascinated to think about what he was up to the last eight months i know right? what did what did, he, what did he do all day and, and, and what's he do when he walks back in the locker room for the first time like jk i'm back what's up yeah i was thinking about that with these guys um 
So the NBC Sports Network does these, like, all day on Saturday. They'll have folks in there for the long days of the Premier League. And I was thinking about those guys that come in, and they do, like, all overall 45 minutes of talking over eight hours on a Saturday. What mm-hmm. on earth do they do with the rest of their week? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you like you um, having to find things. You're like, I want to write for somebody just because I need something to do to fill the rest of my time. Yeah, yeah. It, that just made me think of uh, so Merrill Hodge, the NFL former NFL player and now NFL pundit. Uh, he lives in Fort Thomas, Kentucky, where I grew up, and I saw him one day at the pool, and he had a stack of paper, probably an inch thick. And he was just sitting by the pool memorizing NFL player profiles. <laughs> like, that's your job, isn't it? Your job is to sit here and memorize NFL player profiles uh, and talk to him about it. He's like, yeah, this is what we do in the off season." Yeah, so maybe that's what they're doing. <laughs> maybe. Clearly, yeah. I don't think he was working very hard there by the pool, but... Yeah, you know. he's sitting by the pool reading NFL player profiles, making several million dollars a year to do it. <laughs> oh, <Yeah. my. laughs> Anyway, shall we dig into this week's article? Sure. So our article this week is actually a list, uh, and two lists, one of which that I haven't looked at very closely. But uh, the first list uh, that we're talking about and seeing what we can extract from it that is interesting and worthwhile is the World Fame 100 list published by ESPN. And maybe a good way to introduce it is just to read their tagline on it. But they say, how do you know you're famous when everyone is talking about you? We're in this day and age looking you up on Google. For our fourth annual World Fame 100, we bring you each athlete's most searched moment worldwide as measured by Google Trends. To identify the 100 most famous athletes in the world, we started with 800 of the biggest names in sports drawn from 78 countries. We then ranked them based on a formula that took into account three fame factors. So search score, basically saying how often and to what extent are, is an athlete searched on Google. The second criteria is endorsement dollars, and the third is number of social media followers. And they have the caveat that since not all athletes are on every platform, they used only the number from their most popular account. And so they published this list of the 100 most famous athletes based on those three criteria. And so at first glance, it's pretty simple. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, of course these people are famous, but then there's so many things that can be unpacked and talked about for their significance. And I I have a list here of like 10 or 15 things that I think stand out, uh, and I would imagine you have the same <laughs> or more. But uh, yeah, so I, I think it would be interesting to maybe just kind of see what the first few things of significance that popped up uh, to each of us and kind of see what comes from that. But there's a number of things that can be unpacked here. So I don't know what's, what stood out to you most or what's, what seems most significant or worth talking about. Well, so I wanted to start, let's just take a moment. I'm going to read these top 10 names here. Um, okay. So we got Cristiano Ronaldo, number one, number two, LeBron James, 
three Lionel Messi, four Neymar, five Conor McGregor, um, six Roger Federer, seven Virat Kohli. I'm sorry if I butchered that name. Uh, eight Rafael Nadal, nine Stephen Curry, and ten Tiger Woods. Um, so interesting, you know, we see already that soccer is really high up there. Interesting also that tennis has got two folks up there. But I think one of the things that stands out to me is a comment that one of the guys that was the chief uh, on this stuff mentioned, which was just that um, fame is always a act of looking back in some ways. And so to look hmm. at this and see Tiger on here and Nadal and Federer, um, these are all folks that you could argue are past their prime at this point. And so to see three of them in there that are kind of already over the hump, and then I think you could also argue that Ronaldo, Neymar, or Ronaldo, James, and Messi are all kind of on the back half of their yeah. fame arcs. Um, which is just interesting. So it's a thing that lingers in some ways more than is front loaded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it takes time to get in the top ten. Is maybe a short way of saying it, right? Mm-hmm. Is that uh, the the way you amass as Cristiano Ronaldo has 148 million followers is to be in the limelight for a long time, uh, for good or for bad. Uh, in his case, that has recently. Uh, become uh, or included some bad reasons but I think it's interesting to think about the bad in that Ronaldo now has a major asterisk there, LeBron has some, Conor McGregor has many and even a new one this week and then Tiger does as well uh, and so it's it's just about being, well Messi has his too mm-hmm. um, but it's about being great at your sports but also engaging with the marketability of yourself and of your sport and doing that for a long time. And so that in its way, in its own way can be kind of a fascinating thing to think about. You know, um, we, there's not enough time for us to fully delve into this Cristiano Ronaldo situation, but it's really worth mentioning that it hasn't gone away. Um, yeah. And indeed they have, um, there's some stuff that came out this week that they've been trying to serve him, which is very complicated to serve someone in a foreign country, papers. Um, there's all kind of stuff that goes into it. And essentially what they're, what's turning out is that they just can't get close enough to him to actually serve him with the papers that they need to. Um, wow. Which is just uh, an abomination in some ways that this is not, you know, this is not happening. Uh, he, right. it seems very clear that something nefarious went on. He has admitted to his lawyer that, uh, she said no, no, no many times during the, during the, uh, activities, the sexual activities that were happening. So, um, it just makes him seem really awful. Not that I was ever a particularly big fan of him. Uh, yeah. but I've just pulled up his Instagram page and I have to say, I don't understand it at all. Why people what's appealing about following this guy? <laughs> 148 million followers. That, 158 at this point. 158. Yeah. What in the world is that? <laughs> that uh, and, and I would imagine we both would agree that fame is a concept that... that 
seems so thin and flimsy, but at the same time, for one human being to have access to 158 million eyes and to have so much control over what those eyes see, that that's that's incredible. I, just the number itself. I don't even know if the significance of it needs to be drawn out all that much to under to just appreciate how bizarre that is. Yes, I've I've got a picture here that he posted on February seventeenth of him with five of his friends in a basement playing pool somewhere, uh, with the comment mementos with several emo- emojis after it. Not a very good picture. Uh, almost four and a half million likes. I don't, I don't understand it at all. No, but there's something there that is compelling people to pay attention to him and not just pay attention, but you can see like the impact that his words Mm -hmm. and images are having on other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have no idea what the numbers are, but I know that it's a conversation that exists in the internet world of, how much a post is worth for these celebrities and how much money they could make when they feel like making it. And I think of, uh, I don't know which Kardashian daughter it is, but it was published recently that she's a billionaire. And it's mainly because of Instagram that uh, she can make something like, you know, a couple million dollars for every single Instagram post. Yeah, it's it's mind-boggling in some ways, and it's it is, uh, um, you know, in some ways I wonder that particular question is perhaps about people not knowing where they're going to see ROI, and so they just put the money out there somewhere. They have yep. to spend their advertising dollars on something, but yeah, um, it is. I just, I mean, you and I are not the target audience, but it is really fascinating to see. This stuff, particularly, you know, I I think about um, Instagram being such a passive way in some ways to pull information in, Mm -hmm. um, where I feel like there's an, uh, some of the other social media, like Twitter, there's an expectation of you being involved, and even in Facebook the same way, that there's just not there with Instagram, so you can almost entirely live through other people and that and that that expectation now for social uh, for athletes to be on social media and share their lives i just can't really fathom that pressure but also it's uh, i don't know what people are looking for in some ways in that right yeah it, it it makes me think the information piece in particular about max weber and thinking about the division of labor in society and how value is created and generated and how I can't help but think I am sure some Weberian scholars out there would be really upset with me for how I pose this question, but to what extent are our paradigms for understanding where value is in society capable of catching up and capable of giving us any sort of foundation to stand on to even talk about what's happening and in that way it is kind of i guess the definition of a phenomenon that the norms are outweighing 
what we previously believed about how society structured itself as it relates to where value is and what labor is. Uh, but the idea of just posting something on Instagram and making a million dollars certainly changes our <laughs> definitions of what labor is. Oh, my. Well, I do want to change direction here a little bit and talk about the dearth of female athletes on here. So there's only three female athletes on the World Fame 100, those being, unsurprisingly, Serena Williams at number one, somewhat surprisingly, Maria Sharapova, uh, coming in at number two there. Um, mm-hmm. I'll have to look it up. I think she was in the 30 to 40 range on the list. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Yeah, 37. Um, and then down at the very end um, is a woman I have never heard of, but Sonia Mirza, who's a tennis player from India. Um, and it's just, I think it's revealing, and we all know this information already, but it's revealing and it forces me to ask questions about um, why it is that female athletes are just not, uh, prized in the same way. Yep. Yeah, it's an uncomfortable question, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also incredibly revealing of what we all already know, and uh, that we live in a resoundingly patriarchal society. And those of us that live in, um, you know, formerly known as Western countries or in some ways still known as Western countries, I guess are, um, I don't know, living in a a world where that's at least being challenged in such um, noticeable ways. But even still, uh, if you needed any more evidence, you could look at this list and say like, oh, we are not even close uh, in any way whatsoever. And um, not to even knock the uh, Indian tennis player that's on the list, but uh, her fame, I, as far as I understand it, uh, came when she married and had a baby with uh, Shoaib Khalib, who is a Pakistani mm. cricketer. And uh, they went viral in India and Pakistan uh, when they got married and had a baby and they made a very public display of having their baby and they have they both have really loud um, social media lives Hmm. Uh, and so in that way you're looking at Maria Sharapova and Serena Williams um, seemingly on their merit uh, being the only women that can make this list which is um pretty frustrating to add uh, I don't know if you noticed this but in the about section of uh, this list where they explain what's up here when they say uh, what we're measuring um, they use he and his Mm. (laughs) say gosh okay but But, um you know, I have to give credit to ESPN on some level, though, because they did. ESPNW has done a list of the 25 most famous women athletes in the world. Um, but what becomes clearly apparent very quickly is how few of these uh, are really names that you and I would know. I mean, so mm-hmm. there's two Indian badminton players on the top 10 who I'm pretty certain we don't know. Um, and then we get into the second. Uh, half of the 25 and it's also interesting just if you think about um so here's one that you know i think you and i are probably fans of and alex morgan you know the star of the u.s women's national team 
Yep. Her Google Trends average is zero, and her Google Trends peak was one, um, which is essentially saying that she's getting no Google search activity compared to these other athletes. Um, which yeah, is, Ronaldo, Ronaldo's is 100. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Simone Biles even, you know, her average is zero and her peak is two, which is, I mean, it's just frustrating. And so I do think that there's, um, you know, I had heard this theory espoused a while ago, and I think it's something that I kind of believe in, whether or not it's okay for me to believe in it or not, I don't know. But um, it's kind of along this line of that we, as men, you and I have been uh, brought up to think about athletes as the ideal male archetype. Um, mm-hmm. That when we see somebody like, you know, for me, it's more Federer than it is uh, Ronaldo, but I still look at that list and I'm like, yeah, I can see, you know, there are people on here that I look up to and admire and I watch them and I'm like, man, I wish I could do that. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas it's not necessarily the same for women. They're not taught that. Except if you look at these top two athletes, these two that have made it on their own merits, Serena and Maria, they seem to have developed that ability to for people to look at them, particularly women to look at them and say, I admire them and idolize them in some ways, which is interesting to think about why that might be the case, but also whether or not that whole argument has foundation, I don't know. But it is something I think about when I think about women's sports. Yeah. And how many roadblocks there have been for Serena and Maria Sharapova versus Cristiano Ronaldo, Mm -hmm. right? For, I I mean, I guess you can't take away from Ronaldo being an incredible soccer player, right? If if we're going to give him anything, we can give him that he's really good at the game of soccer, but the hurdles that he's had to face and the challenges he's had to face are almost non-existent, especially when you put them alongside what Serena Williams and Maria Sharapova have had mm-hmm. to face. Uh, and so in, in some ways, it, it, if this list were to somehow incorporate what those hurdles are and I guess put some data or some some sort of quantifier behind how hard it is for someone that doesn't fit the male archetype to be on this list. It it makes Serena Williams what she has always been. I think for how you and I view sports, uh, like what she truly is. She she's more exceptional than everyone else on this list, in my opinion. Hmm. I, 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 there's not another person on this list that is as exceptional because the, everyone else is just supposed to be here. She's like the only one that's not supposed to be there, and yet she is, and she's near the top. Mm-hmm. Um, and so no, no one else compares, I think, to me. I don't know if I could overstate that. <laughs> well, it raises a, questions for me, too, to see. You know, on this women's list, we've got, you know, um, six five or six of the top 10 and a number more continuing on that are tennis players that are the most famous women athletes. Mm-hmm. And that raises questions for me about when Serena goes, how many of these, how much of this fame that these other tennis athletes have been able to accumulate stays when she leaves the sport because she's such right. a phenomenon and has been able to overcome so freaking much every time, you know, they, they're at, um, they're at Indian Hills again, this week and every time i hear that i think 
about Serena and this struggle that she's had to be through, go through. Yep. And how how few people probably know that she boycotted that tournament for ten years, or however long she did. Yeah. You know, like like even something like that, like no one would know that unless you like pay very close attention to sports. Well, even me, I didn't know it until she ended it. That was the the point where I was like, "Oh, I didn't know that was happening." Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, we we've mentioned it a few times, but I feel like it's worth even extracting a bit more. But what about the fact of India's uh, representation on this list uh, as a country that uh, eight of the eleven starting eleven for the Indian cricket team are on the top one hundred. Yeah, it's amazing. It's, it's it. It sure seems to suggest to me that they're a country that is starved for sports, which is yeah. fascinating to think about. And it has also raised all kinds of questions in my mind about how freaking hard it must be to be Coley or Dhoni mm-hmm. or these guys. That that's just mm-hmm. oof. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I I don't think anyone on the list could compare to the scrutiny that those Indian cricketers are under. Uh, and I feel like this list, list kind of gives credence to that acknowledgement that we we think that our athletes are under a microscope. But I, I truly believe from all that I've been able to glean from playing attention to cricket for the last few years that no one's under more scrutiny than them. Um, and I, I feel like this list kind of makes that apparent. And I might even argue that the way the, the methodology of this list downplays their fame in some ways that um the fact that they use google as the search score mm-hmm, indicator mm-hmm, yeah um, for a country like india i think that you could find that that's actually downplaying the actual search activity around these athletes right yeah and so it made me think and this is just a question really of uh how or what a list would look like if it was able to quantify impact and maybe even to kind of limit the parameters geographically, right? And say, like, in this 5,000-mile uh, um, radius, um, this athlete's impact is ranked 98 versus someone else's who in their 5,000-mile uh, radius is ranked this. And I, I would just have to guess that that would give us a kind of different view of uh fame and impact hmm. um, because i think those indian cricketers would just be the top eight on the list if you looked at like the extent to which they matter to where they are from yeah i mean i think even lebron like yeah. he's rarely going to make head front page news in the way that the cricket team is going to um mm-hmm. yeah yeah hmm. um even so, too, to point out that there's two uh, cricketers from Bangladesh on the list. Yeah. <laughs> how, how many Americans would it have been able to predict that? A zero? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Right. Well, it's interesting, too, given that, you know, you and I know that India is a great cricketing nation, but that doesn't mean that they're dominant over somebody like, I mean, you mentioned that they were playing Australia and that Australia still was in with a chance. Yeah. Um, you know, there's every chance that they play Pakistan, they play yeah. um, South Africa, they play England, that they, there's a chance you're gonna, they're going to lose that. 
and yet the, yep. the scrutiny that the players get on their team is massively different. Although I would say that it's not like English cricketers get off the hook. The amount of media credit that, that, or criticism that they take is huge. It just doesn't even begin to compare with yeah. these other folks. It says something about threshold of talent in sports in that the West Indies can compete with India. Mm-hmm. In that a country where 500 million youth play the sport versus a country where a couple hundred thousand play the sport and yet they can compete on the international level and look no different um it it is a fascinating thing it really is yeah what else stands out to you um probably the one that i was most intrigued by and i maybe i'm over reading this but um ninja uh, who mm-hmm. is a streamer and e-gamer uh, was on a 41 and I have to think that that's a, a thing that's going to rapidly increase over the next few years is the number of esports athletes that are on this list yeah yeah I I like have no knowledge of anything other than I, I've read the the long piece that was in ESPN the magazine about him and then watched a few videos. Uh, he hosts these tournaments where folks can play against him. Um, but it, it, it's bizarre uh, that the world that exists there in the sense that I know nothing about it, which isn't what makes it bizarre, but um, that it seemingly has only scratched the surface that the potential is what is significant or interesting and that we're first getting a glimpse on the main stage of what esports is capable of. Um, I I would point to the fact that most of the Ivy League schools now offer scholarships for esports, which is interesting to think about, uh, about like how you tell if a sport matters or something to a culture. Well, if the Ivy Leagues are offering scholarships for it, maybe so. Um, hmm. or what that will look like in the future. Well, I'm really intrigued to see. The NBA has really leaned into it as well, so they're having uh, tournaments and broadcasting over the NBA's YouTube channel the results of eSports tournaments that are specifically associated with NBA teams and the NBA as a whole, which I think is mm-hmm. a really interesting mm-hmm. move, and I think we can probably expect to see more of that. Yeah. Yeah, of course the NBA is on the front lines of this. Well, and I have to say that you and I, I feel like, have to take away a, f- a small feeling of superiority when, um, you know, obviously soccer players are going to come out on top of this, but basketball uh, is a distant second, but a dominant second with 16 players on the list, which I think just reiterates how global the reach of basketball is compared to baseball, football, these other sports. Yeah, and let's counter that with the fact that there's one baseball player on this list. Ninety-nine, too, I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Bryce Harper is the only baseball player on this list. Um, That's astounding. Yeah. That is really astounding. Yeah, it calls into question why I love uh, Ken Burns' documentary on baseball so much. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, again, we have to take a moment and recognize that the the methodology doesn't – help baseball um yeah. baseball is overwhelmingly an older demographic who are not going to be socially following people 
and are yep. not going to be searching players out. So his endorsement numbers are actually better than most of the people in his realm of the the top 100. So, well, let's talk about endorsements. Does anything stand out to you about endorsements? Um, I don't know. It's an interesting. My main takeaway was just wondering what it is that makes an athlete marketable in that way. Yeah. Um, and so, like, you know, I am, as an Arsenal fan, I knew that Ozil was going to be on this list because I know about his social media following. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't have many endorsements. And so it raises this whole question, like, you know, his social media stuff would suggest he's very marketable. And yet there's something about him that has put people off of wanting to invest in him real money yeah uh, which is interesting yeah well just to point out the to look at the list based with the filter of endorsements on so it's lebron steph curry tiger federer ronaldo phil mickelson rory mcelroy lewis hamilton uh k nishikori kd paul pogba uh and then not too much farther down the list is jordan spieth I think it's interesting that there's four golfers on this list, mm-hmm. uh, and they're all in the top in endorsements, which uh, I, I don't think there's any other way to suss this out than to say that who watches golf? Rich white dudes. Uh, and so <laughs> if you want endorsement money, go towards the rich white dudes are. Um, yeah. The fact that all of them are so so high on this list. Um um, I, I I found one thing interesting on endorsements is the fact that Colin Kaepernick made thirteen point four million dollars last year in endorsements. Mm-hmm. Um, there is not one part of me that is going to hate on that, and in fact, I'm going to hate on anyone that wants to hate on that. And it kind of goes to my NBA player support mantra of "Get yours, man." Like, yeah. <laughs> You're putting your life on the line and you gave up your opportunity to do what you have trained your whole life to do for the good of a community. And you have put a lot of money behind what you're doing and have given a lot away and have articulated this vision and stood at the helm and taken the heat from all the idiots out there. So (laughs) if that equates to $13 million for you, (laughs) good on you, man. Get it. Well, I also, I think it goes to show, um, you know, not everyone that's going to come out, speak out is going to be rewarded in the way that he has. But Mm -hmm. I think it goes to show that we perhaps overestimate the damage that can come from speaking out and standing on principle, Mm -hmm. Um, that there are possibilities to still succeed even when you um, are spitting in the face of those that you thought would uh, be the ones that make it that way. Yeah, that's a good point. I like that. Um, anything else that stood out to you? Well, I will just say, it's intriguing to me to see Luka Modric on this list just because um, the Croatian relationship with their soccer team is one of the most interesting th- ones out there. Um, mm-hmm. And so in some ways, like I look at this list and see him on here and think that's Fascinating because unlike somebody like Kai Nishikura, who has got the whole way of Japan behind him, Luka has done this without the support largely of the Croatian population in many ways. Mm. Um, 
which is, I think, an interesting uh, perspective to put behind it. Yeah, I was, I was left wanting of more filters, right, to put on the list uh, to get different outcomes, and so that makes me think of how I would like to be able to. Um, kind of extend the list to look at things like the GDP mm. of the countries of the athletes, the population of the countries, or the level of sporting fervor for each country. Uh, and then even where like someone like Modric is a perfect example of having played in England and having played in Spain for two of the biggest clubs in the world. Uh, versus how his home country views him. Those are things that I would like to be able to filter into the list uh, and and see um, more fully. Yeah, so one of my biggest critiques was that the filters could be more interesting here. Uh, in, in, in addition, there is not, um, there's not anything about race uh, in the filters, which I think could be interesting as well. Mm. But... Yeah, particular. I was particular. I was wondering. I was scrolling down and thinking about race, not necessarily in and of itself, but race as a versus a proportion of native population. Mm. Um, so, like, um, you know, St- LeBron stands out because he's a black man in a white world, whereas Neymar doesn't necessarily stand out in Brazil in the same way. Um, but then, on the same time, like. Pogba and Mbappe in France is a fascinating thing to think about in the modern France that yeah. we saw rioting in the streets almost every week these days. So yeah, um, yeah, I, it makes me think of a distant headline I saw where a lot of the Brazilian soccer players all stayed mum on Boldaro's election, hmm. and thinking about like how they exist in the political spectrum would be something I'd be fascinated to learn more about. Yeah. But, well, good deal. Anything yeah. else from that? No, I think I'm good there. What are you looking forward to this week? I mean, it's hard not to go to March Madness. This is probably like quarterfinal day, the ACC tournament, and then um, this these four days of basketball we're going to see later this week are probably the some of my four favorite four or five yep. favorite days of sports of the whole year. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have not been paying attention. I, I don't know why, but I mean, I guess I check scores a little bit here and there, but something about the conference tournaments don't do it for me anymore. Hmm. Um, but that first weekend of the tournament, you're right. Like that it's, it's pretty exceptional in the sports world. Uh, to have that kind of weekend it's really really fun i guess it's not fully a weekend but yeah it's kind of like you get the the joy of you know um afc wimbledon winning in the fa cup except it's magnified by this happening 15 times and thrusting (laughs) really interesting people into the spotlight in the process yeah yeah i agree what's uh what are you looking forward to um, I will probably pay attention to the, as mentioned, the final round of the uh, players today, but I, 
I think I'm more interested, and this is like a weird thing that emerged in me that I'm trying to, <laughs> I don't know, un- unravel a little bit, but the American announcers are obsessed with the fact that Europeans are playing so well on the PGA Tour. And pardon me, but who gives a shit? <laughs> like, why is that a storyline? <laughs> And then the other side of that is because they're saying that it has like galvanized me for European players. I have no idea what that is fully. Uh, you know me pretty well, so you could probably uh, come up with some conclusions. But uh, my hope for today is that Europeans finish one, two, three. Well, I think it's also, I feel the same way. I've been a huge Louis Oosthuizen fan forever and I feel like part of it just comes back to the dude lives on a farm in South Africa and I'm like I think that's really cool Uh, yeah yeah um even though he's probably got a bunch of racist family if he's yeah yeah Uh, yeah but um (laughs) it is interesting I think part of that may be overexposure like how many times have we seen things about Dustin Johnson and Jordan Spieth and Brooks Kapka at this point and how arrogant and annoying do they seem every time another one of those stories comes up whereas we just don't know these even like justin rose i feel like we don't know nearly as much about him as we do these american right. players so right. we haven't seen enough to start disliking them yet yes that is true although i think i could dislike justin rose but i love tommy fleetwood i would love for tommy fleetwood to come out on top today i uh yeah his hair he's got good hair man so <laughs> Indeed. But I'm good there. Good deal. Well, thanks, y'all, for listening. Please give us a rating and review wherever you listen to this. It helps other folks find us, but we look forward to talking to y'all next week. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks, man.